0: We'll They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freaky Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Instead of packing eight beers for your overnight backpacking trip, just take six. Total weight savings, 1.5 pounds. Brendan Leonard.
2: You know, a giant percentage of the things I have done is because of him. So I wanted to tell his story and um, sort of pitched it to REI with with this in mind, saying, you know, like this ultra marathon, you know, someone running 100 miles is basically the The best metaphor I can think of for his entire approach to life, you know, which is, you know, take on things that you think you can't do, but maybe you can if you try hard enough. um, Worry about them, and then you know, work hard until you can achieve them. Um, And seemed like a good idea at the time, and you know, it was just ended up being sort of a lot of pressure with directing the film, but also directing a film that you really have to. You know, not only do you have to get all the technical stuff you want to tell a story, but you also have to finish a 100-mile race uh, with your friend.
1: I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Meerpod. Pod. Welcome. To the John Freakin' Your Pod, lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome to another episode of the John Freakin' Muir Pod. This week we are very fortunate to have Brendan Leonard on the pod. For the few of you who may not be familiar with the name, Brendan is a filmmaker, an adventure author, and the creator of the Semi-Rad blog and website a website Brendan himself describes as a channel for those of us who aren't elite climbers, skiers, ultra runners, and alpinists, the folks who love to get out there but maybe just don't take it too seriously. Now, I need to rattle off a little bit more about him because that's, that's really inadequate so far to describe Brendan. He's also a contributing editor for Adventure Journal and the Dirtbag Diary, Diaries podcast, and he is a columnist for Outside Magazine. He's written nine books, made award-winning films, and written articles for numerous adventure publications. And in his spare time between all of that, he's lived out of a van for three years, biked across America, climbed big walls, ran ultra marathons, and is just plain living his best life. Welcome to the pod, Brendan.
2: Thanks for having me,
1: Doc. Did I get anything wrong in that intro or did I leave anything out? Because I I feel
2: like I did. (laughs) No, I would say uh, I'm. I'm probably not. I'm not a contributing editor at the Dirtbag Diaries anymore. That's. Um, oh. It's been a while since I've done anything for them. I, that might be on like Amazon or something where you, there's just bios floating around that I don't update. You know, so that's probably where that information is from. There, there are a few years the, ago numerous
1: bios out there about you.
2: Yes, yeah. Some of them are. Some of them are correct. I don't know. Things change. You know. So, yeah. Okay. I'm not I'm not offended if that appears in the podcast. I don't think it's gonna destroy my career or anything or offend anyone else. But uh,
1: but yeah. I'm not gonna get a cease and desist letter from the dirtbag diaries. I
2: but yeah. I think I think they'll be okay with it. So okay.
1: yeah. very good. So hey, I wanna alert you to a little feature that we do here on the pod each week, and that is the pro tip insight of the week. And so during our natural free free flow of conversation during the episode at the, at the very end, I'll turn to you and ask, okay, what can our listeners learn from our conversation today? What is the pro tip that we can share with them that'll make their next adventure a little bit better? So it can't be anything you plan for in advance. It just has to kind of, uh, be connected in some way to our conversation during the episode. Make
2: sense? Oh, sure. Yep. Sounds good.
1: Okay. So, this podcast is all about journeys and storytelling. And from what I know about you, you've got a lot of experience in both.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that I'd make a, i make uh, I kind of make a living as a quote unquote storyteller. So, um, I, I tell my dad it beats working. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just to have always been not, not always, but, uh, been doing sort of adventure writing trying to since like 2004 and full-time since about 2012 I guess so it's it's fun it's um I can't say it's uh it's definitely a dream job I would say yes
1: yeah I, I would think so um I want to ask you to just to start off you know first question is how do you make it all work I mean you've 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 written books, multiple books. Was I right with nine? I counted up nine. Yeah, I
2: think I think there might be ten now. Ten. Um, okay. Yeah, I, they're not. It's that's what sort of um, happens when you, none of them are New York Times bestsellers. I think you just keep trying to find the next one to write. So, um, so you've yeah. got
1: nine plus books. You've got film projects, award-winning mm-hmm. film projects. You've got columns um, for outside. Magazine, you've got other publications that that you've written for, and you're out there adventuring. How does this all fit together?
2: You know what else? I always wash the dishes too. Like there, are no dirty dishes in our house either. So the trash is taken out. Um, No, it's you know, I for so since two thousand eleven, I've written a weekly blog. On I started a blog called Semi Rad, and started writing that, and that's sort of what that's been the constant since since 2011 i've written a post every thursday since february 2011 so that's going on like 10 years mm-hmm. um pretty soon here and there that all that has not always made money i guess it, it didn't at the beginning and then it was it's it's never quite been enough for like a full-time job for me um so I try to find other things to do that you know will supplement your income and also different ways to sort of express you know, things you want to do. Like, I did do a bunch of Dirtbag Diaries podcasts um, early on. Gosh, I guess the last one I did was probably in 2015 or 2016. Um, That's a fun medium to get into, to tell stories that way. And Mm -hmm. um, was going to film festivals and tried sort of finagled my way into that a little bit um, with with not very um, advanced skills or training, but, um, you know, figured out some people to collaborate with and figured out how to take the storytelling I had sort of learned and transfer that to um to film you know and um yeah I guess you know I've always just tried to add a few things and and keep keep everything moving so I don't have to you know go go get a real job because I'm probably unemployable at this point because my resume is not very not very good and you're self-employed for for the last (laughs) eight years so it, it may look like a lot but it it's that's all stacked up over over many many years you know mostly what I try to do is every week try to make two or three things that are you know that will will help people I think or make people laugh or or think or something like that and some of that's on my blog some of that's on my Instagram account and and then you know running underneath that or in addition to that there's always a there seems to always be like a book project you know in the works that's it's not something you work on for eight hours a day, every day. It's more like a few hours a week over the span of, you know, several months or yeah. sometimes it's like dozens of hours all at once with in, in the span of about three weeks. Um, so yeah, that, it, it looks like a lot, but it's not the, you know, I'm not Stephen King who goes in and grinds out 2000 words a day for 90 days or whatever, and then has another best selling book coming out. It's, they're different formats and, um, you know, it's, uh, that's, it's, it's doable in addition to a day job as, as most authors would probably tell you, I guess, mm-hmm. um, most, most lower tier authors like myself anyway. Um, so yeah.
1: Now being self-employed, I, I understand that the performance evaluations are, are pretty stellar and you, you have a, a hell of a, uh, recommendation
2: from, from yourself, right? So. Yeah, you know, uh, when I first, first when I quit my last um, full-time office job, one of my, um, the, a board member who's now a friend told me, you'll be the toughest boss you ever had, and boy was he right, you know, it's like, it's, you know when you're slacking off, you know, you, you don't, you can't hide it from yourself, so I would say I'm totally off the other end of the spectrum, where it is, it is, uh, it is a lot of work, it's very, it's very hard work, and a lot of, a lot of worrying and anxiety about what you're doing and, um, you know, if it's sustainable and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I never sit down and think, man, I'm doing a great job. I deserve a raise, <laughs> you know, or, or even, even a couple of days off. I don't, I don't even get that anymore. So mm-hmm. yeah. Bon- bonuses are tough to come by. They are. Yeah. And you know, it's like, you know, you should probably reinvest money in the business as opposed to just like paying yourself more or whatever. So it's a, it's definitely a, a different balancing act for sure. And, um, and yeah, that attitude is, is probably why you've been able to make this work. I mean, putting it yeah, back guess, in. Yep. I guess so. You know, and I just think of it as, you know, a lot of people it doesn't work for a lot of people and, you know, they like the steady paycheck and do some of some of us who are self-employed justify it by saying, well, you can get fired from one job. It happened once and I have to get fired from all of my jobs in order for me to completely lose my income. Um, so that's, that's like, it's just whichever safety net you prefer, I guess, or whatever, whatever makes you comfortable. But yeah. Right. Now in
1: preparing for this episode. I, I kind of, I, I, scoured the, the, the Google uh, with your name and, uh, your different, um, different adventures. And, and I came across a lot of involvement in many different types of adventure sports and endurance sports. Uh, How many types of adventure slash endurance sports are, are you involved with or have you done? And can can you, can you, can you rattle them off?
2: I mean, yeah, I guess early on I was really into, um, climbing and mountaineering. I was a contributing editor at Climbing Magazine for a few years um, and then sort of transitioned out of that around, I don't know, 2015 and started getting into trail running and ultra running and ultra marathons. Um, But yeah, I've just been able, just lucky to have been able to dabble in about, about everything, you know, Um, besides I've never, never done any whitewater kayaking um, and very, very small amount of um, very mediocre surfing, you know, like a couple, couple mornings of surfing where I barely was able to stand up. Um, but yeah, just done some, some whitewater rafting trips, um, which are a couple of those have been guided, which is super easy. You're just chilling out in the boat. Um, and then, then, you know, a raft trip through the Grand Canyon, um, with a, with a private trip. So got to, got to row some rapids and stuff like that be down there for 28 days. Um, and that's, that's something that was not really in my, um, that's something I would not have seen happening um, because I'm mostly, um, I would say land-based, I guess. And mostly, mm-hmm. mostly I would say I'm an uphill person versus downhill. So done a little bit of mountain biking, but don't, don't love the, the speed. And, um, I like, I like traveling via bicycle. So if that comes on dirt, that's cool. Bikepacking mm-hmm. is cool. Done a bunch of bikepacking trips. Um, if it comes on a road bike, that's a, that's a cool thing too. I bicycle across America in 2010. Um, super awesome. Um, but yeah, I mostly, I mostly do a lot of trail stuff and I guess peak bagging and, um, found my way into a little bit, a little bit of mountaineering, not a lot of, not a lot of glacier stuff, but, mm-hmm. uh, little ski mountaineering, like, basic level just climbed and skied a handful of volcanoes like mount hood mount shasta mount adams stuff like that um so yeah it's just kind of finding something to do um in whatever season wherever you are and it's i've been i've been extremely lucky i would say to have gotten to try a lot of stuff so
1: and why did you make the switch from um rock climbing to trail running back in 2015
2: you know uh i think it was 2013 um i'd just been dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety around climbing and um i witnessed well and there's an accident literally right next to me on a belay ledge on uh like the top of the first pitch of castleton tower in utah mm-hmm. um so a kid fell 25 he's, he's in his 20s peter um guy from another party they were passing us because rock rockfall had cut our rope and my partner and I were standing there trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I was all ready to just bail. And then, uh, and he was kind of thinking we might keep going, you know, climb to the top and um, Peter, this kid fell and he ended up hitting his foot on the way down and landed on his face right next to me on the ledge, he immediately went into a seizure. Um, and so between the two of us, the party above us, and then his partner, and people who called for help we, we spent a solid six hours just hanging out with him and then helping uh search and rescue get him off of the tower and he ended up being fine making a pretty full recovery I'm not I'm not sure if he is climbing uh anymore but it just kind of I kept climbing after that but I think I didn't really um address how much it affected me and mm-hmm. how much how much fear I was bringing into it and I never had gotten super strong or like strong enough to be really confident. I would always just go for things and hopefully it worked out. So I never really got that good. I just had a lot of experiences. Um, And I also think I wanted to reach, um, reach more people with stories Uh, and rock climbing tends to be pretty hard to understand from the outside. Um, Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't do it, if you haven't done it you don't really it's really hard to understand people you know if you mention it to somebody on an airplane they you know if they say oh you're a rock climber you're the two things they think of is like Mount Everest and Alex Honnold (laughs) you know both of which are extremely irrelevant to like 99.9% of rock climbers so I think it's it's an awesome I got so many great stories out of it and great perspective and really loved it. But I think at the end of the day, when, when you want to tell stories to a group of people and find universal things that work for a lot of humans, um, I moved on into running. And, you know, everybody knows, even if you don't run, you have run, you know, you've run in gym class, even if you hated it, you know, or, or you've maybe run a mile at least. And not only that, if you don't run, the barrier to running is very small. You know, it's very, it's a, it's a very easy thing. You can take off running and run a half mile at And if that's all you can do you can you can start you know you can uh increase that and um and get better at it and and learn to run you know Um, rock climbing is a little bit harder harder to get into so I think it was a natural transition for me and um just really am enjoying just the exploring that you can do on trails and um it makes sense for me now with just all the stuff I have going on I can go I can leave my phone behind and and take off for you know two hours three hours six hours and just be in my head that whole time um and sort of a moving meditation um and not not really worry about doing something wrong and dying which is also which is something that climbing you know is is always present for you there when you're rock climbing um, even at your even at your sport climbing crag where you know, it's theoretically super safe, you can still do something wrong and fall and hit the ground. So um, I feel like I had explained it to people that ultra running is mountaineering without without the let's see, it's, it's all the pain and suffering of mountaineering without the risk of death, because very few people actually die doing ultra marathons, you just feel like you're going to die. in um, mountaineering and climbing, it's like more like, yeah, there's there's death is right there sometimes. So
1: for a lot of the time. That is, that is well-framed. That's a, a good way to put it. Let's back up just a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about your upbringing? And, you know, a lot of the people I talk to kind of share a turning point in their lives where all of a sudden they find them go, find themselves going in this new direction and, and heading off on the path to adventure in their life. And I know that you, you wrote one of your, one of your early books, I don't know if it was your first book or not, but one of your early books, uh, 60 meters to anywhere, uh, kind of talks about that in detail.
2: Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Iowa and, um, uh, you know, we were, I would say middle class. Um, my, my dad is a, a butcher and then a manager of a meat department in a grocery store. My mom was a nurse and a, uh, eventually a nurse practitioner after I left. Um, So they had there's a few there's a few fat years when I was a kid where we we were able to take a ski trip to Colorado. Um, I think three years when I was in like third, fourth, let's see, no fourth, fifth, and sixth grade or something like that. Um, So I got a little bit of a little taste of the mountains, um, as well as like one family trip to uh, Rocky Mountain National Park when I was like six, I think. Um, So we kind of had known they were out there, but for the most part was just having a classic Midwestern upbringing, Um, and then. Yeah, um, got really into drinking when I was well, starting starting at age fifteen through mm-hmm. twenty three, and that was the, you know, um, gradually getting worse and worse outcomes out of nights out, I guess, until I finally got finally got arrested for the last time when I was twenty three and um, was ordered to go to rehab by the state. So I did quit drinking and had gotten into grad school at the university of Montana um, which I don't think at the time had anything to do with the fact that it was out west or in the mountains. I think it was the fact that they, they accepted the journalism program accepted grad students who did not have a, an undergraduate degree in journalism. It was like I had a marketing degree that I barely graduated with and um, they, that was their whole thing is that they, they taught they they took grad students who didn't didn't have the, the previous uh, experience. So I'd written a little bit for my school newspaper and got in and moved moved to Missoula. And uh, yeah, from there I didn't really know who I was anymore because I couldn't party um, legally. Could not party because um, I would if I if I got if I got arrested again, I was going straight to jail for I think six months if I violated my probation. So that was my first first year in Montana Um, was a little bit a little bit weird sad um, and didn't didn't really know what to do with myself but started hiking getting into the mountains a little bit went on my first backpacking trip for just a quick overnight trip to Glacier National Park and sort of flipped a switch for me where I realized like this is something I can do now you know compared to just being a guy at a party and um, you know boozing away my my free time which was really fun for a while but didn't obviously didn't work out for me so Mm -hmm. yeah from there I was getting getting a master's degree in journalism and um, I think I went into it thinking who knows you know I could end up working in a newspaper you know maybe maybe in the back of my head I really wanted to write for like Rolling Stone or or you know a music magazine but I ended up figuring out that I could write adventure articles um, about hiking and the things that I like to do on the weekends and I was like wow okay maybe this is maybe this is what I can do. Um, graduated in 2004 and geez it only took me it take me like six or seven years to get an article published in one of the main mainstream you know national outdoor magazines but it took a lot of a lot of trying a lot of pitch letters and stuff like that but yeah moving moving to Missoula was the the big thing that really really changed my life i guess um so yeah and that was i didn't have any i didn't know anything when i moved here didn't have a pair of hiking boots had a backpack that i carried my books to class in you know and that was that was pretty much it you know i didn't didn't have any didn't have a tent i'd really never slept in a tent since probably since i was a kid in somebody's backyard so mm-hmm. um and just started started to do that stuff here um yeah
1: yeah. A lot of current backpackers and wannabe backpackers listen to the podcast. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure their, their ears perked up when they, when they hear you talk about backpacking, how, what was the, uh, the best backpacking trip you, you've you taken or longest backpacking trip?
2: Boy, uh, oh, man, that's a good question. So I would say two of them stand out. They're like, it was t- 2013. My friend Jim Harris and I, I had been looking at, um, the Sangre de cristo range in colorado for many many years wondering if you could sort of traverse the entire thing and stay stay on the ridge line the entire time it's about 100 miles long and it's just this very distinct single mountain range that sits a little bit across uh, apart from the main uh, rocky mountains so mm-hmm. we i i don't know, i think i had mentioned it to one other person and they weren't interested in Jim was a photographer that time and I knew he was really um, pretty hardcore compared to me. Um, and I asked him and he was totally into it. And he and I did it over, it'd take us 10 days. I've written about this on my blog. Um, we pitched it as a story to Backpacker and um, traversed the entire thing. And uh, we didn't, we didn't go over every single summit or I don't even know if we got like 70% of the summits. Um, and we ended up um, just getting rained on the last three days straight, I think, and sort of bailing like a trailhead north of where we ideally would have would have uh, ended the trip, but it was just kind of like, do we want to try to traverse this like fourth class ridge soaking wet?" Um, and you know top out on like two 14ers and then try you know was just like let's just get the hell out of here mm-hmm. so we that was a super memorable trip uh, for me for a couple of reasons because a i'd been thinking about it for years and years and years b there was no route that existed and then c i think it was was it two years later or a year later jim uh had an accident in south america where he became uh, paralyzed from the waist down oh, um for uh, which ended up um so he he ended up doing his rehab from the accident surgery and rehab uh in denver oh, i think surgery might have actually been in cincinnati but anyway one of the best um spinal and uh traumatic brain injury rehabilitation facilities in the country as i understand it is in englewood uh just south of denver where i was living mm-hmm. then so jim was doing his rehab for that so um I was able to kind of go down and visit and then eventually take him like out to do normal things, like just go out to, to lunch or, you know, hang out with people besides his parents or people at the hospital. So he mm-hmm. went from being, um, laying in a hospital bed to being in a wheelchair to walking with crutches. to so then just walking with a trekking pole. Um, and oh, now he's great. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's definitely not doing the massive backpacking trips he used to do, but mm-hmm. he is still, he's now skiing again. I mean, he was skiing wow. fairly early. Um, and I think he would, he could talk for, you know, hours about what that's been like for him, but he's skiing and doing a ton of mountain biking. Um, and I think he's, he's probably still 10 times better mountain biker than most of us and probably a better skier too. But he was, uh, I mean, he charged super hard when he was before his accident. And um, he's, it's really cool to see that he's gotten back on his feet, literally um, to do, to do those things. So um, amazing recovery. It was, yeah, it was like, and before our backpacking trip, we had spent like less than 12 hours together. Total ever, you know, it was like, had breakfast together twice and then we got together to plan the trip and that was it. And then we just went and spent 10 straight days walking a hundred feet apart from each other and being in a tent all day and talking non or all night and just talking nonstop the whole time. So, um, it was, it's a meaningful trip because of the friendship, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just like answering that question, like what's up there. Um, so that's that's probably my favorite one. But sounds
1: like sounds like great source material for a podcast episode. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I might have to ask you for his contact information. Sure. Yeah. And I think you were going to mention another trip. You said maybe one or two. Yeah, you know, um, well,
2: I guess there's a bunch. There's, um, you know, my wife and I did um the wind river high route or a a version of the wind river high route um, i saw i saw that on your blog yeah I it I looked amazing i'd have to look at the date on the blog i think it's 2015 but um another another great trip that one was not uh, one that we had to plan the route it was like literally a guy named uh alan dixon had, had put up this route i was googling it because like oh what's next i could try to do something else maybe there's one in the wind river range where i've I'd literally spent two nights there, I think, mm-hmm. uh, on a short backpacking trip to, like, Tick Home Basin, and um, found this guy's route, and I was like, wow, I mean, it's already been done, but we should just go do it. It's great, you know, um, and still, like, the line is drawn on the map, but you still have to do the every day, every, you know, f- every hour 15-minute navigation, figuring out where you actually go through, um, you know, across the tundra or up, you know, because there's Uh, not really much of a trail and I would say the majority of that route Um, but super cool we kept it sort of like I think we kept it basically third class was probably the hardest stuff that we went through Um, and there are ways of like a lot of people Andrew Skirka um, especially has put together more of a purist high route where it's like um, crampons ice axe I think um, and a lot more a lot more technical but a lot more purely staying uh up high and, and doing the doing those um keeping it pure I guess um so there's a number of ways people do that but I we had just an amazing time and it's just a just a beautiful highly underrated mountain range it's not it's not one you hear about when you're growing up in Iowa you know you hear about like the Rocky Mountains and then maybe you hear about the Sierras and you know that's pretty much all you think of as mountains and in America, but Oh my God, the winds, you know, the Tetons and all the other, all the other cool things that we have in this country Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention what's North or around the world, you know?
1: So, right. Right. Any desire or plans to do a long distance trail like uh, the Appalachian or the PCT? Not
2: really. No. (laughs) Um, I have thought about bikepacking, like the uh, the Great Divide mountain bike route. Um, mm. You know, it's like bikepacking. It's like backpacking with coasting, you know. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think, like, you know, the reasons people are doing those big, um, this the big marquee trails, the through hiking trails that are so famous are, are different than what I need in my life right now. And, mm. you know, it's like for a lot of people it becomes – just the, it's like climbing. It's like the Mount Everest of hiking, right? It's like, you know, if if you, it's, it's such a big deal and I don't know that I need a six month adventure right now. Like I, I've kind of had those times where I'm figuring myself out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe, maybe one's coming, who knows? But, uh, and I think, uh, I think there are other smaller things that I want to want to take on that I would find a little bit more interesting. Um, in, I think, man, those things have, I, I could not speak on this, but I think the community around those two is, a, is another interesting thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and as far as uh, anthropologically, it's really fascinating stuff too, but um, I don't know if I'm looking to tap into that right now. Um, so I would say there's other, there's other things that I'd, I'd like to do like hut traverses or hut trips in, mm-hmm. in Europe or in New Zealand or whatever. Um, and then, you know, bike, bicycle, Like packing is is interesting to me too but and backpacking trips that are less than a week or a week or so would be fantastic but yeah Yeah. pulling off pulling off the nuclear like six month or four month whatever trip on the pct or or the at would be it's not something i'm trying to schedule my move Mm -hmm. my schedule around for at this point
1: yeah. Was, be careful when you put a bracket like that, like time, uh, you know, a week long uh, backpacking trip, because I have a, a an episode coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, with a couple of guys that I talked to who fast packed the John Muir Trail. They did 211 miles in five days and 23 yeah. hours. And it's, yeah, I got, I asked him, you know, why, why would you do that? And the, the one guy said, well, my wife, you know, she only gave me a week to be away. So they had to.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> is that the record or not like i don't even it's know. not no it's
1: not a it's not an fkt but uh, they certainly yeah. were recovering were a lot of ground each day so mm. and you know what i do have a suggestion for you that i think would be right up your alley how familiar are you how familiar are you with the Berkeley marathons
2: oh yeah I'm, no thank you yeah <laughs> no i don't i mean that's like I don't even know how to describe that to people, but it's like um, I'm interested in, in ultra marathons and races um, as like sort of a tourist. Like I like to see different places and experience different, different races. And I think it's like a great way to do supported things that are, um, you really get to push yourself and you're not, you're not super worried about um, a lot of the, the logistical things like, you know, in five or eight or 10 miles, there will be someone there to refill your water bottles and like, you know, hand you um, cookies or, or whatever. You can keep going. You can really push yourself to the edge without without um, having to worry about running out of food and water and et cetera, et cetera. You, most of the time, it's not that easy to get lost uh, depending on the race. But yeah, the Barclay just looks like, I mean, I just feel like you would have to train for that for a year, just to complete, like a loop, you know. Yeah, um, it's it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, it's it's incredibly entertaining. Like yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. the the film about the original documentary and then the Ginger Runner documentary, um, Place Where Dream, or Where Dreams Go to Die, is like just incredible movie. I've watched both of them a couple times, but it's not. It's like, it's like when you say, yeah, I, I do mountaineering, and people will ask you, do you, have you climbed Mount Everest? And you're like, no, I've just climbed like, Mount Rainier and <laughs> a few other things. And that's what people say if, if you're like, oh, yeah, well, I do ultramarathons. And, and you could run 100, 100-mile races, and that doesn't mean anything to people. But if you've run the Barkley, if you finish finished right. the Barkley, if you're one of the dozen, is there right. a dozen people? It's not even that many. Yeah, and there, people know what you're talking about. So. There's
1: years, there's years, and there's consecutive years where where nobody finishes that race, which is yeah. just, it tells you how crazy it is. Now, what is where, where dreams go to die? That's another documentary on. Uh, it includes uh, Barbara. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I haven't seen that one. I've got to, I've got to watch that. It's on YouTube. It's free. Um, okay. It's a it's really, really well made movie. Uh, okay. Fantastic. Really I just got something to do tonight.
2: Nice. Interesting character, um, Gary Robbins. So like fascinating guy um but yeah it's a good it's a great for me um, okay yeah that, that race i think i believe it keeps getting harder too i think that's the the general um nature of um the organizer lazarus like yeah yeah you I don't need to make that race, race any harder that, no that, you don't that, but
1: the first iteration of it was
2: crazy enough yeah it's like you know most of these like a, a 31 mile ultra marathon is as hard as most of us need to like that's the hardest thing most of us will ever do and that's fine, you know, yeah. like or even just a marathon or a half marathon for people. And mm-hmm. to go above that, you're really stretching it out. And I've enjoyed doing the hundred mile races. But you know, I haven't enjoyed them. They like I I enjoyed having done them, but uh in their interesting in their own way. But like the Barclay is so much it's I don't even know how to describe it. It's like um God, how would you say that? Yeah, it's like oh, you like uh, you like you like chocolate bars. You should try heroin. You know, it's like it's such a huge jump. It's yeah. it's so bananas. So yeah. I understand. I understand the the spectacle of it. It would be kind of fun to just go and hang out, but like um, you know, I don't know.
1: Well, if for some reason, if for some wild reason, your, your attitude on this changes and you, you pursue that and you get, to, you get to do the Berkeley, you have to agree to come back on the pod and, and share the experience with us. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. I'm totally, I'm, that's, that's a safe promise. Yeah. I'll commit to that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, you have a, a new book coming out uh, in May next
2: year. Is that correct? The camping life?
1: Yeah, I have, it was,
2: I have, I actually have three books coming out in the spring. So um, that one um, was supposed to come out this April and then um, COVID happened. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, all bookstores were closed for a while. Amazon wasn't even buying new books for, it was like six weeks. So the publisher said, you know, hey, we're going to like postpone this for a year. So that was uh, my friend Forrest Woodward and I um, did a book about basically every way you can sleep outside. Um, so, and the joys of it and some essays and we sort of traveled, gosh, all over the country and meeting up with friends and um, doing these different types of things, um, exploring different ways to, to camp and um, had a blast doing it. And I'm psyched for it to come out um, when it does. It's interesting because a few advanced copies actually made it through the system and a few people actually own that book already, even though it's technically not coming out till June um, because they placed pre-orders before COVID shut everything down. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's a, it's pretty. um, I had a copy. I think I had one copy of it and then I think Forrest has that copy, but I I don't even have it at my house. So yeah.
1: It's a rarity right now. I'm going to, I'm going to pre-order one tonight. Sounds like it's um, right up
2: my alley. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it'll be, it's fun. It, I, hopefully it makes you want to get outside, uh, which this seems to be the year for that for a lot of people. So Yeah.
1: Okay. Hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Brendan about uh, one of his film projects. And I really want to get into some detail on your blog, the Semirad blog. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is Brendan Leonard, the creator of Semirad.com. You're listening to the John Freakin' Mirror Podcast.
1: Okay, welcome back. Uh, we've got Brendan Leonard, the creator of the Semirad, Semirad blog, on with us today. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, one of your film projects, Brendan I took a, I took a watch the other day and it was really impressed. And the title of this is how to run a hundred miles. So it's like an instructional video, right? For, for all of us who want to run a hundred miles, you watch this and you're ready to go.
2: You know, I thought that'd be a clever title and I wonder how many people have gotten there and been like, this isn't the worst instruction, instructional video of all time. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of is, Uh,
1: You, you start off, you start off saying that you hate to run. And yet here you are embarking upon, uh, the quest to go a hundred miles. I do hate, I still hate to run. So
2: (laughs) it's a necessary evil. Yeah. I mean, if you want to eat pizza, it's like kind of got to exercise and it's, it's the exercise I hate the least now, I guess. So, And as I started, as I started watching this, I thought
1: maybe this was the story of uh, your introduction into ultra running. And then I quickly realized that it wasn't so much a story about you as it was a story about your friend, Jason
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: yeah and um you know I I admit it's a, it's, it's something that's covered in the, in the film we met when we were waiting tables in Applebee's restaurant together in college in 2000 so at the time we did the race I'd known him for 17, 17 and a half years something like that and um just you know one of the biggest inspirations in my life to do things I didn't think I was capable of um in uh, in as well as just being a dear friend, uh, to, you know, that I've counted on for everything. Um, I was just saying during the break that he and I have moved dozens of couches together, um, including two months ago, he helped me move a couch. Um, so there for each other. And, um, also a reason I'm probably have done, you know, a giant percentage of the things I have done is because of him. So I wanted to tell his story and, um, sort of pitched it to REI with, with this in mind saying, you know, like this ultra marathon, you know, someone running hundred miles is basically the um, the best metaphor I can think of for his entire approach to life, you know, which is, you know, take on things that you think you can't do, but maybe you can, if you try hard enough um, worry about them and then, you know, work hard until you can achieve them. Um, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. And, you know, it was, just ended up being sort of a lot of pressure with directing the film, but also directing a film that you really have to, you know, not only do you have to get all the technical stuff you want to tell the story, but you also have to finish a hundred mile race uh, with your friend. Um, and I had, you know, I said, leading up to the race, at least one of us has to finish this race for this movie to work. And hopefully it's Jason, you know, if, if it's only one of us, it has to be Jason. So, um, ideally both of us will finish it but it's a lot it's a lot to put put on yourself by uh trying to do that so uh i won't spoil the ending but um it's it was a way of me getting to tell his story and it ended up we wanted it to be this story of two normal idiots who take this thing on in a way that would inspire other people to to do big things whether that means like running 100 miles or just running six miles or whatever asking for a raise or what whatever it was to them. Mm-hmm. Um so it's that's probably one of the biggest things I've I've done as far as how many people have seen it and where it's where it's gone, sort of around around the world with film festivals and stuff like that. So um I'm glad to have it's like that friend of yours you're always telling people about and then you just it's a way to scale that instead of just telling people one by one. Mm-hmm. You know, as you see them, you can just like put it on YouTube and a few, you know, hundred or thousand people can can see this person that you've always talked about. So
1: yeah, um, and I want to I want to clarify a few things. When I say that you are a filmmaker, you you're a next level film filmmaker. You're not you're like not like me or my friends who, you know, we we put together these little hiking videos after our after our trips and upload them to YouTube. These these are well-made, well um just incredible uh, little films, award-winning films, um very very professional, well and, you know, just excellent. Also, um, this was not just any 100-mile run. This was the Run Rabbit Run trail race, which Mm -hmm. goes uh, about 103 miles with 20,000 feet of elevation gain. And you had a time limit. You had to finish within 36 hours.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what you're saying about the films, but I would definitely argue that there's much higher quality stuff that is, like you said, just uploaded by people on YouTube, you know, which there's some fantastic storytelling out there that doesn't. Yeah. I don't to want to, I don't want to those. disparage, <laughs> I don't want to disparage
1: any of those folks, but, but you, you have done a marvelous job with your
2: films. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's like, um, they they don't really, not everything. I'm not very good with the camera. Um, so you can see that in a lot of the stuff I've helped out with, but occasionally you find the right people to do things and to help you with things and you can yeah make a little bit of magic for for some people but yeah the the races um you know it's it's i got i feel like it's a hard one we wanted to we thought about like oh we could try to sign up for like the leadville 100 but um that's really hard to get into and if you're trying to get two people into a race you kind of want to get something that's actually possible so you can plan around it um yeah it wasn't it's not super hot it it ended ended up being fairly warm but um yeah, it was a big enough challenge that we weren't like, okay, this is, you know, 100 miles is extremely difficult no matter wh- what way you do it. But there are um, f- much flatter races in the country. But we thought, well, we both live in Denver. Let's just make this steamboat's three hours away. We can go up there. We can get an Airbnb and whatever. Um, so it ended up being, we just picked that one and uh, got in and uh, went for it. And it's, it's really similar in elevation profile to a lot of different races. Um, in the West, for sure, and on the East Coast, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, so um, it's just a, it's a mountain race, and uh, it was a great first experience for us, I think, and um, yeah, it's not, it's hard to explain to people, because you see in the YouTube comments that people say, like, these guys hardly ran at all and I'm like yeah well I know man (laughs) because that's that's kind of the well number one all most of our footage came from the last uh 25 miles which is when we had our two friends with cameras join us so which is also the most uh the most tense part of the film because you don't you're not sure if anybody's going to finish so that's where a lot of that footage came from so yeah we are walking a lot but Gosh, if you go to those races, people do walk a lot. It's pretty, pretty hard to run. Hey, for oh, any of the armchair
1: quarterbacks out there watching the video and saying, hey, these guys didn't even hardly run very much. You know, I've got an answer for them, but then I'd have to make, I have to label this episode explicit, so. Well, and
2: it, I think it's just not, I think people just don't, well, the title for one thing is, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if people tell, if people say they finished a hundred mile race, they're, they're not going to say, well, oh, no, no, I ran and I hiked some of it. Because like. Right you know, like the UTMB, the fastest people who finish the UTMB are still hiking a chunk of it. may not be, may not be nearly as much as I would have to hike, but they are walking a lot of it, but there's portions that are straight up basically. Yeah, And it's, you just, it's just not, you know, people think running, they think, um, Boston marathon. And so we put in, we drew, I drew those graphics to try to explain that, you know, Mm -hmm. like, but then people don't know how tall the empire state building is. So it's like, explaining 20,000 feet of elevation gain to somebody is pretty pretty difficult if they haven't done much hiking or whatever. When you yeah. when you say hey, you know the Boston Marathon actually has like a negative elevation profile and New York City Marathon is like 300 or 400 feet over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um so it's but it's it's just a
0: yeah, that's, that's just that's YouTube comment guy
2: showing yeah. up anyway. So yes, yeah, so
1: you're doing four of those, four Boston marathons or four New York marathons, and adding in another, you know,
2: nineteen thousand seven hundred feet of elevation gain.
1: Nothing, no big deal.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's it's no trying to explain it in the, in the uh, terms of stairs, but um, that doesn't that doesn't always land either. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. Now, now I'm not gonna ruin the ending for anybody,
1: but um what was what was we both tougher, lived? What was they yeah. yeah, both lived? Um, it got pretty dicey at the end. You guys did not look like you were having a whole lot of fun at the end. But um, what was the tougher challenge, that race itself or the 1,200 training miles leading up to that race?
2: Boy, you know, I think the the race itself is, like, the, probably the – there were more low moments for me, for okay. sure. It's like you're just in this um, – and I've, I've done a couple other – races like that 100 miles since then the last since i'm slow it takes me so long to get through you know like the winners are done in like 18 19 hours sometimes even less than that and um the races i've never finished faster than like 32 hours of 100 miles 100 mile race in less than 32 hours so it's another 12 hours and you know people say like the sun comes up it's a big hopeful moment and i'm always like oh my God, the sun's coming up. I still have, you know, whatever it is, 30 miles left. I'm going to be out here all day. And so you're out there just slogging and you just want to quit and you just want to sit down. And um, so it's it's very hard. And I have not figured out how to make that last, that last 30 miles easier for me. Um, I've had Jason pace me in a race and I've had my wife has paced me in a race and kind of gradually decided like, don't let me sit down. And they're like, okay. And then by like mile 80, I'm like, Hey, I was thinking at the next aid station, I'm going to sit down for just like, just like two minutes. What do you think of that? (laughs) So you're like bargaining. and So it's, it's, it's difficult and you just gotta, it's every, anybody who's done it kind of understands that, but I wonder how much like elite runners, I wonder how much pain they're in and how, how much easier it is for them or harder in a different way or whatever it is. Like, I wonder if we're going through the same things in our heads at, at the same times. Um, they're just yeah, doing the it much faster, but who knows? Yeah.
1: So yeah. in a marathon, they say that the, the first half of the race is 20 miles and, and the more difficult half of the race is the last six with a, yeah. with these hundred mile runs, the, the, the proportion is 70 and 30.
2: I, that's for me yeah I've, I've heard the expression you run the first half with your legs and the second half with your head yeah um, so, uh, but yeah I don't, I don't know that's that's a good question I, I've started feeling like garbage around 65 70 and then just hard to come back from that and then it's just a downhill slide from there mm-hmm. I don't know so it really is fun though like don't let anybody tell you it's not it's so great
1: so we shouldn't believe you we shouldn't believe your every word in the, in the documentary, in the film, when you say it's fun, don't let anybody tell you different.
2: Yeah, no, it's, you know, like they, like they say like your life, you continue happiness continues to increase throughout life until you have kids. And then you don't have hap- as much happiness, but you have more meaning in your life. I get, I think it's the same with ultra running. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not fun and it's not happiness, but it is meaningful. And that's, which is a different sort of happiness, I guess. <laughs> So
1: well put. Hey, let's talk, let's transition now to uh, the semi rad blog and let's mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. First of all, the title, where'd you come up with that
2: or how? Um, you know, I had seen this book called semi tough in a bookstore when I was like 13 and still have never read the book, but the phrasing stuck with me. You know, I just, I can still see the cover in my head. Um, it's a, it's a book about, I think it's a not, I think it's a fiction book about football, professional football. And I think it's actually pretty raunchy. Um, but. Correct, that was stuck uh, with correct me.
1: on both, on both issues there. Okay, great. You have read it? <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. So, well, actually somebody who, I've explained this a bunch of times on different podcasts and somebody heard one of them at one point and sent me a copy of the book. And I was like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> I still haven't read it. Um, so, so I, I don't know that had been in my head and I was just like, I was quitting my job at, I was working at a nonprofit that was an outdoor uh, thing called big city mountaineers where we, we, um, took kids, uh, on, on wilderness trips and, I was leaving that job and I didn't want to lose touch with the outdoor sort of industry, I guess, or that community. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to start a blog and start putting up these stories that I don't think are good enough for like magazines. Um, I'll just write them and put them on a blog because I'd seen friends like, you know, like fits at the Dirtbag diaries just do literally the same thing and had great success with it where people didn't want to buy his best stories. And he just started reading them into a tape recorder in his closet and, took off and that I would say that's probably the best move he made in his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. so I thought, you know, I'll just try to write a blog for like a year or something and see how it goes. And I'll do a post every, every week and, um, you know, we'll see if something comes of it. And that was sort of what I landed on was that title. Cause I thought it captured, you know, it seemed like I think there's a lot of outdoor media at the time, which, you know, is paid for by, outdoor companies who sponsor very talented athletes and so thusly a lot of the stories were about people climbing 514, 515 and you know skiing things that most of us would never be able to ski or you know it was was like high achieving stuff and I thought you know like that's cool that's inspiring in a way for sure but there's you know there's this common ground that all of us have you know, about all these things we do. And if I can find that, I can speak to people and sort of give us this um, sort of uh, way of communicating with each other by sending these little blogs I write back and forth and being like, oh, I think you really, this reminds me of what we were talking about um, when we went camping, about how campfires are, you know, how, about how we act around campfires or, or whatever it is, you know, the funny things about bushwhacking or stuff like that. So I didn't set out with that goal in mind, but I thought, you know, there might be something there around the middle where um, we can come together over these things we love, even if we're not quote unquote good at them, you know, we're still enjoying that time in the outdoors. So it seemed like a good word that captured, you know, that sentiment. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's maybe like, it's like a branding lightning strike for me. I actually did one smart thing ever. Um, and that was okay. it. So it's a short, website, the URL was available. Twitter handle was available. It was like, okay, I'll just do this, you know? And um, so it's, it's gone. Okay. I guess, but yeah, that's where the name came from. It's semi rad. Nice. Yeah, Very good. Now
1: uh, I'm going to pull a, a couple of features off of the, the, the blog. In addition to your, your, your weekly article. Um, one of the things I came across on there was the hundred favorite things list. Yeah, and it's, it's great. They're all hyperlinks. You click on any one of those items and it takes you to a, 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 another website or a YouTube video or uh, Amazon to buy the book. Um, it's it's, a, it's a, a listing of 100 items and it, it covers a wide range of things. And we're talking books, we're talking films, we're talking restaurants, we're talking, um, you know, I think I saw on there a bike lock, a bike shop, uh, lots of different things on there. So I want to play a game with you real quick here. It's called mm-hmm. free, free association and I'm going to, I'm going to pull five of these things off of the list and I'm going to say them and I want you for each one, just kind of give me your immediate reaction and thoughts on, on the item and, and why it made the list. Sure. Okay. So just, I pulled it off uh, earlier. Here we go. Thoughts of dog.
2: Oh yeah. That's, I mean, if you don't, if you're on Twitter at all, if you're, <laughs> If you have any, any love for dogs, I think that's, a, that's an account you need to follow. Uh, just yeah. amazing. Just makes my day uh, on a regular basis.
1: One of our favorites. Absolutely. All right. Mitch
2: Hedberg. Oh, boy. Uh, Got that. I would say, I mean, he's Mitch Hedberg's been dead for 10 years, maybe. Um, but just this really unique comedian at the time, with a really unique sense of humor um, in the early I guess late 90s, early 2000s, probably. Um, Just there are lines from Mitch Hedberg that still pop up into my head a lot, like pretty constantly, actually. Um, Every time I buy a donut, you know, every time I see a broken escalator, I think of Mitch Hedberg. And I think his humor really influenced me right right around the time I was going into grad school, actually. So. Yeah, he has a very dry delivery. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I think the first time I ever saw him on like, it was like Comedy Central or something. He had, the joke was, you know, he's just standing there with his purple tinted sunglasses, awkwardly standing in front of the microphone. And he says, I used to do drugs. I still do drugs, but I still used to, too. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. And it's just, a, yeah, incredible stuff. So,
1: yeah, I I discovered him on XM radio a while back. And uh, I don't know okay. if anybody else had this, similar experience and i thought he was just fantastic you know anytime one of his segments would come up it would just it was incredible it was awesome and then i found out after the fact you know after you know listening to him on and off on on the radio that he had died and so i I went into i went into mourning i'm like are you kidding me he's no longer on the planet this is this is
0: terrible
2: yeah huge bummer i mean i think he's a drug overdose yeah i believe Yeah, it didn't feel like, yeah, yeah I, I wish he had lived, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. He, he gave us a pretty incredible gift for a few years there. Yeah. All right, next item, Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, hands down, one of my top five books of all time, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I thought that I was like heavily influenced by several other writers, and then I picked up Slaughterhouse-Five and reread it a couple years ago after reading it for the first time probably in like 1999 and was just sort of shocked at how uh, much Vonnegut's voice had um, shown me that it was okay to write in this way that wasn't uh, uh, I don't know like you like you weren't like you didn't have an MFA I guess he Mm -hmm. um, yeah there's a line in one of his um, one of his books or one of his books about his speeches and it goes something along the lines of like I find that I write best when I write as if I am a, uh, a person from Indianapolis, which is what I am. Something like that. Where mm-hmm. he's just saying like, I write like a normal person talks and um, I enjoy, enjoy that. So yeah, it's, that's always on my bookshelf.
1: Yeah. Great book. How about uh,
2: Tom Chitty? Tom Chitty is, um, my gosh, he's a sometime New Yorker cartoonist. Um, he's on Instagram. One of my favorite Instagram follows ever uh he's he's British and lives in Toronto um, and he is just hilarious in this very interesting way and has a really cool drawing style of drawing people and it i'm I'm weekly that's one of my my favorite things to see is when he pops up on my instagram feed yes all right and number five the Grand Canyon oh yeah I mean. If you can't, if you don't like the Grand Canyon, I mean, (laughs) I just don't, I don't get, I don't get it. They shouldn't be be listening to this podcast if they don't like the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I mean, if you can't respect the Grand Canyon, it's like, this this may be not the right planet for you, I guess. Yeah. So those five
1: things I thought just a good representation of the eclectic list that you've put together. And it's, you know, going through and, and clicking on those items, it's time well spent. Oh, thanks. Man. Yeah. There's a
2: couple of them that are like, I think my friend's bike shop is on mm-hmm. there and it's, that's not open anymore. Um, I need to do a little updating of some things for sure. But yeah. yeah, I don't know how much traffic that page actually gets on the website. I just wanted to do it and thought it was fun. Yeah.
1: Hey, let me, let's talk about the charts that you put together um, on your, on your Instagram account, just full of charts that kind of uh, represent uh, your insights into life and expressions, and um, really, really insightful, and um, I think strikes a, a a chord with with a lot of them struck a chord with me. I understood exactly what you were, where you were where you're coming from, and uh, they were very meaningful to me. Um, I really enjoyed the periodic table of of the elements of adventure.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that um, I made that into a poster. And, yes. Um, yeah sold sold out of those very very quickly um so yeah that this just the um i guess probably maybe 2013 or something like that i drew a couple flow charts on my blog and they just literally drew them on a piece of typing paper and took a photo and used that as my blog for the week and um they did they sort of went they went really viral for me um and became some of the biggest things I had done. Mm-hmm. And um, I started goofing around a little bit with like a piece of graph paper and some pens and drawing other charts and putting them on Instagram in the early, early days of Instagram for me. And I guess late 2016, I just decided I'm going to try to buy an iPad and actually make this look a little bit more professional. Um, Cause I had known a guy who like had done, he like, would hand draw greeting cards on an iPad. And I just asked him like, what do you use? And, he's like i use an ipad pro and this app called procreate and you know the ipad pro was like 1200 bucks with the pencil and the procreate was like 25 five dollar app and um i just decided oh, i'm gonna start start doing these because this is a fun way to make instagram more fun for me because it was at that time getting a little bit i was getting a little tired of like okay we're all we're all going on vacation i get it this is cool um i don't know if this is gonna hold for me hold value for me if i'm just scrolling through and seeing where people have gone um so it became a way to make it more engaging for me and so i guess i've just tried to those charts are just ways of looking at the world i guess and Mm -hmm. trying to take something i think an observation or something i see or i I feel or i think other people might feel and, and making it into something that's uh you know, essentially I make memes, I guess, which is a sad thing for me because, because they just get stolen and go around the internet. And it's like, it's cool. You're, it's fine, but it doesn't necessarily, that doesn't ever necessarily come back to you. You know, it's like, nobody knows who makes memes. They just float out there and nobody cares. They're not like, I got to find out who made this meme and like track that person down and like buy a t-shirt from their website or something. So it's, I'm working on how, how does this become part of storytelling? And um, Mm -hmm. how do I, how do I do more than just have these little like things that people like, or don't like, you know, literally with like, I don't care, like, how many likes did this get on a day? Mm -hmm. um, You know, when I put something up on a Friday, it's cool, but like, I have to make a living too. I can't like, it's not like I can just give shit away and, and like, you know, make money through that. So I, I need to I'm trying to figure out how to make it a, a bigger part of what I do and, in, in a way that's not just this very disposable, very stealable medium. Uh, Cause I think, I don't think that can last either. I think people are not going to be like coming back for that every day. I think it has to be a little deeper than that. So and I can already kind of feel it tailing off where I'm going, hmm, I don't think people are as engaged in these little single panel things anymore. Maybe I need to figure out how to, how to make this work in a different way. So uh, it's been fun though.
1: Well, speaking of slapping it on a shirt, you do have a segment on your your blog where people can can buy products of you know uh, shirts or coffee mugs
2: or other items, right? Yeah, prints. I actually have a t-shirt that just says products on it. Nice. Um, which I, I thought would be fun. I was going to like wear it in a post and say I was being an influencer, but it was for my own stuff that I sell. So <laughs> actually... Yeah. So no, I mean, it was like, it was like, okay, well people like these things, but do they just go away then? Like, you know, what's the, do you ever go back to an Instagram post like two weeks later? You're like, I don't know. It's a couple weeks ago. Somebody, I forget who did it, like trying to find it. And like, how much did you really like it? Would you put it on your wall? Do you want that as like a reminder of something? Yeah. And so that's been nice where so people will buy it. These things are not super expensive. It's like, do you like this so much that you want to put it on your wall in your, in your gear room or in your office or whatever. And, you know, I've sent some to like um, psychologists and um, substance abuse counselors and um, other teachers, stuff like that, um, Mm -hmm. which is cool. So it's fun to make those things and it does make you feel like you're actually doing something as opposed to just like creating more digital stuff that just goes away after a day or two. So um, yeah, I'm working on, figuring that out because the going from what does something work how does it work on instagram versus well a t-shirt is you know something you want to say to the world you know about yourself or how you view the world and a coffee mug is often something you want to say to yourself every day or maybe a handful of people who walk by your desk at work so they're different communicating devices for sure
1: Right there. That kind of analysis, yeah, that kind right. of analysis is, is what makes you, you that I, I have not spent any time thinking about, you know, the difference between a coffee mug and a t-shirt. You're exactly right
2: though. Well, you are going to think about it. Cause you're like, it's not like you just put something out there and people are going to buy it. And like, you know, you like, what does this actually do for someone? You know, why would, why would I want this? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not like, it's not like I'm doing things that are like just so fashionable that people are going to buy them. Cause they'll look good. It's like, t-shirts are way different than that they're like sort of a nuanced joke about or nuanced way to say something you know whether it's like i want you to know i can't just wear a shirt that just says i ran 100 miles once you know so give me a high five it has to be a little more nuanced where people are like signaling to other people that that's what they've done and you know maybe just other runners or other ultra runners or something like that. Or we're, we're speaking the same language. I know what the John Muir trail is, you know, or whatever it is. Uh,
1: so I hate I, 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 the John Muir trail. Give me a high five.
2: I know that. I'd and that. all I got was this t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No. So it's, I don't know. And then you think of it and like, what's a way of putting positivity out there as opposed to negativity and mm-hmm. like really negative t-shirts aren't very, aren't super you don't see a lot of them out there but you you do see some of them but uh yeah it's like how do you make the world a better place by putting a message on a t-shirt or a coffee mug or whatever um this is a way to think about it as well so i don't know i'm just trying all this stuff i have no idea what i'm doing it's almost
1: it's almost like you have a marketing degree or something
2: It barely yeah i barely barely survived that one
1: Hey, Brennan, I'd love to finish up, um, talking about another feature I saw on the blog and it was simply called 52 marathons in 52 weeks.
2: Yeah. Um, boy. Yeah. so yeah, I was to turn 40 last in 2019. And I think I had was heading into the year going, Oh my God, it's 40. What am I going to do? And, um, I've been running a bunch and I think it was in September of 2018, a couple friends and I decided to run a marathon around New York city and we were going to try to eat a slice of pizza in each borough. Um, But by the time we got, we got started in like early afternoon and it was like, there's no way we were going to be able to put it all together um, before like very late at night. So we just decided to eat a slice of pizza every five miles um, as we ran around New York and so we did that, and it was a, it was exactly a marathon, and it was fun, and uh, in in the way that, I mean, no one had any uh, bathroom problems because that's a real real consideration when you're eating that much pizza and running. Uh, but <laughs> we did it, and I was kind of thinking, what am I? What could I do next year? And I was like, yeah, I could just run like a marathon a week and see how that goes, you know? Because the pizza one, it's you know, most people think of a marathon as like running as fast as you can for like three four five hours or whatever and I don't know how long the pizza marathon took us but I think it was over five hours but I was thinking of it as I just enjoyed doing these distances and like I can do them in a variety of ways you know I can run a bunch just around my neighborhood and I can go up in the mountains and do you know trail running marathons and I could maybe do another pizza one or maybe I'll do some races and uh so I sort of just low key committed to it in my head and mentioned it to my wife and started running marathons. Um, because when you're doing like when you're training for hundred mile or 50 mile races, you end up running a lot anyway. And this was just kind of like, didn't feel like it was that big of a deal to add on to do that much. And it became a big deal for sure. It was pretty tiring. Um, And I didn't do like a race every week, which is something people have done. Um, But that requires this logistic element where you're like, okay, I have to find a race for like May 7th. And there's only one in Pennsylvania or Florida. So I have to travel to those places. And I was kind of like, that's not something that everybody can do. You know, like I'll just do the, I'll just do them around my house, you know, or whatever. Um, So it was fun. Um, I ended up asking a friend early on, my friend Forrest, I said like, well, I'm going to do a hundred mile race this year. So I think I'm only going to count the first 26 miles of that as a marathon. And you know, like that's it. And then I'll, that's one marathon. He goes, I don't think you should do that. I think you should count that as three marathons. And I said, okay, sure. I guess I will do that. That does seem smart. So <laughs> it's a little convoluted. And I think, I think people, if people want to argue that that's not really 52 marathons, they could definitely say that and I wouldn't argue with them, but um but yeah, we've, we've got a comment for that. So exactly. Yeah. somebody's Somebody, somebody <laughs> will. Uh, but I thought of that. And yeah, I finished like, I think early December in 2019. And uh, it was, it was great. Um, but I ran so many around like City Park and Denver, you know, like, just the loops and loops and loops. And, uh, you know, summer heat, the last one was like, I think I had done one two or three days before and I was just like, why am I even waiting? I should just get this other one out of the way. And it was like, I finished at like 6 PM in the dark and the drizzle. And it was like, I was like, man, this sucks. And then I thought this is actually really perfect because this is basically what it feels like. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I don't know that I'd ever recommend anyone do it, but I thought, no one should do this. Maybe they'll do a 10 K every week and that's pretty great, you know, or something else. But it was just my own little stupid thing that I kept track of and kept me going all year, I guess. It was one of those marathons, you know, 102 laps around your block. (laughs) No, uh, this was, well I tried to do one where I ran every street in our neighborhood, um, which it would, I just, I was like, I'll just do it. And I got into it and I was kind of keeping track on my phone, watch like figuring out which streets I needed to go down. And I was like, man, this is actually, this would actually probably take at least, one and a half marathons or two and we don't have a we didn't have a really big neighborhood in Denver it was just really interesting to like go out there and try to put it together and did not work so uh, I ended up running every street in the neighborhood during COVID because it was like during lockdown it was kind of like yeah you don't really want to leave the house too much yeah you don't really want to leave your neighborhood even to go to the park that was a mile away so and that still took a long time you know I'd be like I had a map. I was just like checking off the streets and I would go, Oh my God, I forgot to run this little one block street that's in between these two streets. It's like way on the other side of the neighborhood. So it'd be like, I'd run to the other side of the neighborhood the next week and it'd be seven miles just to check off this one little block. So, uh, yeah, it was equally ridiculous for sure. That sounds a bit obsessive, Brendan, if I'm, if I'm being honest. I mean, we, I had to do something, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't traveling and <laughs> I wasn't like sitting, you know, interest doing interesting things in the mountains at that time. So it was like, it was the thing that kept my attention for a little while. So, all right.
1: Hey, you know where we are, Brendan, we are at the point where I ask you, what is your pro tip inside of the week for our
2: listeners? Uh, Bring a headlamp. I think maybe would be my, my number one thing, I guess, even if you don't think you need it, even if you don't think you're going to be out too far into the dark. I think that's like my number one thing I would tell people. Bring a headlamp. Is that good enough or not? You talking about something deeper than that? That,
1: that it, It's up to you. That That's good. That's a good, that's a fair point. I mean, you never know. You never know if you're going to be out there after dark. You may not plan to be, but, you know, circumstances happen, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's my, that's my best tip. And I okay. was caught out, caught without one a couple of times very early on in my adventure life. And I was like, this is stupid. Why am I not doing this? This thing weighs like five ounces, so.
1: Can we see a chart on your Instagram account to that effect? And maybe I can put it on a coffee mug. Yeah, maybe
2: I'll give it some thought for sure.
1: (laughs) Okay. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 32 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Brendan and I want to thank him very much for joining us this week. Brendan did a fantastic job. How can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures?
2: You know, I'll just give you my home address and people can, uh, I'm joking, Uh, just semirad.com is my website and uh, Instagram and Twitter is semi underscore rad. So that's where I am.
1: Okay, thank you. Remember to check out the John Freakin Muir pod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Right, Brendan? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right on. I,
2: I can get behind that.
1: Okay. That's a wrap from the John Freakamere Studio. Any final thoughts, Brendan? No, thanks for
2: having me, Doc. It's been fun. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in. And always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.